Welcome, listeners, to Season 4, Episode 10 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're watching the Amityville Horror from 1979. And we also wanted to apologize for this episode's delay. We are finally feeling better, and we're happy to be back. I'm definitely not undead now. (laughs) But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. But this week, we didn't make it at all. Scott from Mad Lab Distilling did. Thanks, Scott. This episode will contain discussion on sexism and misogyny. If these are things that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. So today would have been my day to make a drink. (gasps) But instead, we are using Mad Lab Distilling's Blue Negroni, which is from their cocktail series. It's a created cocktail in a glass or like in a glass jar bottle. That's what the word yes, is. Cocktail bottle. <laughs> and it's ready made for you. This is a completely original cocktail twist of a classic. So it's a blue Negroni, a carefully crafted blend of gin, house bitters and kombucha cordial for a modern twist on a classic favorite. Thank you so much to Scott for providing us with your wide array of cocktails and various liquors. We're so happy to have them featured on the show because they're so good. And yeah, Kelly's I love all been, of them. <laughs> and you've also been on like a huge Negroni trip lately. It's like my summer drink now. So I'm excited to have just more Negroni. <laughs> um, num, 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 num. Um, I mean, you poured this drink. So technically you made this drink. Yeah, because that's how easy it is. Yeah. <laughs> What you do is you would buy this and then like invite people over for I think they called it a dinner party like back in the day. Whoa, the ancient times. Like inviting people over. Like people used to have people come into their house that without masks. Yeah, that weren't there before. So I think it's uh it's kind of like you could have this and then when those other people come over, you can pour it in this in the kitchen and then say you made it. And yeah. then they'll be so impressed. <laughs> I used to say that it would be like really great to go camping with. And now that COVID is here, camping is one of the only things you can still do as a vacation as long as you're still in your region. And I stand by that statement um, that I made before. This is very gin based. Yeah. And I love Mad Labs gin. So it's good. It's very good. It's like a little bit um, got a little bit of spice to it. Yeah. I think that's from the bitters. And the fruitiness is really like the aftertaste. Mm hmm. It's very nice. It's strong, which everyone knows I like. So, oh, yeah, I should say 30 percent this cocktail. And now that we've opened it and it's been featured on an episode, I can now drink the entire thing tonight (laughs) as per tradition. (laughs) So this week we watched the Amityville Horror from 1979. It premiered on July 27th of that year. It's written by Sander Stern, directed by Stuart Rosenberg, and it's based on the book by Jay Anson, which is supposedly based on true events. Yes. Starring James Brolin as stepfather and husband George Lutz, Margot Kidder as newly remarried Kathy Lutz, and Rod Steiger as haunted father Delaney. And in a rare event, we have a merging of two IMDb synopses, <gasps> and I didn't have to do anything. Huzzah! Yay! This synopsis was written by user Nick Regana on IMDb. Thank you, Nick. 
In total disregard of the shocking rumors about the grisly DeFeo murders, the young married couple, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three kids, move into the seemingly ideal and above all, surprisingly affordable colonial house in Amityville, New York. However, before long, inexplicable occurrences and disturbing incidents start to blemish the Lutz's noble desire for a peaceful new life, as the house's evil gradually erodes the personalities of the once happy family, transforming the idyllic home into a nightmarish portal to hell. Now, as a mysteriously sullen George obsessively sharpens his axe, the local priest, Father Delaney, begins to realize that, indeed, Satanic forces are at work. Can they escape from the diabolical Amityville horror? And then the remainder of the synopsis was written by an anonymous user. Thank you, anonymous. George begins to be more sullen and angry over perceived cold in the house and obsesses with splitting logs and keeping the fireplace stoked. One of the two boys suffers a crushed hand when a sash window falls on it. And the little girl has an imaginary friend, Jody who seems to be of a malevolent nature. Mom Kathy catches a glimpse of two red swine-like eyes outside the daughter's second story window, and the family dog Harry, a black Labrador, my favorite character, by the way, (laughs) obsesses over a secret room in the basement. George's land surveying business begins to suffer due to his lack of attendance and his partner is concerned. The business partner's wife, who's very sensitive to the paranormal, is at once both revulsed and intrigued by the things she feels when at the house. Boy, are these vibes ever strong, she says at one point. (laughs) The Lutzes witness a black bubbling substance coming up in the toilets, an ooze coming down from nail holes in the walls, a babysitter being trapped in a closet despite it's not having a locking doorknob, the disappearance of over $1,500 cash, and Kathy's aunt, a nun, running from the house and vomiting. Kathy observes George's persistent waking at 3.15 a.m., feeling he must go check on the boathouse and other unsettling incidents. She also has nightmares in which she's given details about the killings of the home's prior family. Their research at the library and at the county records office suggests that the house is built atop a ancient burial ground. <gasps> Shocker. Wow. What a cliche. (laughs) And that a known devil worshiper named Ketchum had once lived on the land. I wonder if he had to catch them all. Finally, the paranormal events drive the family to flee the house one night in the pouring rain, no longer even worried about their possessions. But the dad does go back for the dog. And the final title tells us that today the Lutzes live in another state. (gasps) I honestly wonder if it was a cliche. Back then, or That's if true. it's a cliche now, now because of these movies, yeah. Pol- Poltergeist and the Emneville. I feel like that is very true. Hit me with that trailer audio. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger. In the Amityville Horror. I'm coming apart! Oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart! What a weird fucking trailer. 
It was like a mini movie. I did think the voiceover was good. Yeah, the voiceover was all right. But like the trailer was edited so weird. It was so stilted. I feel like it's going to maybe come across in this episode when I add it. But just like the pacing of that trailer was fucking off. Yeah, even like sometimes the voiceover was like so quick to jump either over the actors speaking in the scene that they used or the other way around it. They were like kind of overlapping in a weird way. Yeah. Also, it ended with trail or uh, credits. It ended with credits. Yeah. That yeah, that was a that was a weird one. Yeah, I do. It did make it seem more interesting than it was. That's true because it did. The whole thing was like, what you know, the beginning and the end, but you don't know what happened in the middle. What happened to them in the house, and that's the terror. But I mean, we'll get into our points. It kind of of did the similar thing that like Blair Witch tries to tried to do, which is like you have to see this. It's an event that. You will have to see to believe. And, and like paranormal activity. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody will believe you when you tell them about the Amneville horror. But it was just, it was off. Something about that trailer was off. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on this movie? I do. So I'm going to start out hot. I'm going to start out spicy and controversial in that this movie wasn't great. <laughs> I you won't get any resistance from me. <laughs> um like I remember we watched the trilogy before we actually started this podcast. Yeah, thanks to my mom. Thanks mom. And I feel like maybe we didn't remember that this one was terrible. Yeah, they kind of all merge together. I mean, I think we marathon them. Yeah, and I think they get progressively worse. So I think like comparably they were you know, this wasn't the worst one, <laughs> but boy, howdy, watching this again was hard. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree with you there. Um, like, What did you like hate about it? So the pacing was trash. It was one of those movies where stuff just kind of happens for a while. Yeah. And then it climax and you're like, oh, OK, I guess that was ramping sort of. I think it was trying to make that like sense of unease and dread that a lot of horror films do and I wonder if it was more successful at the time because watching it in 2021 it I agree that it felt so slow yeah like there was moments that were just something was going on but you didn't know why like when the priest first enters the house like you can kind of assume that maybe he's a he came over to cleanse the place but he doesn't Mm -hmm. even look for the family he just kind of yeah. like shows up and goes to a random room. They don't answer the door and he's like, whatever. <laughs> I guess I'll let myself in. Yeah. Um, and like we. I don't know. It's really hard to say why the pacing was bad, but like like the wedding was so out of place. We didn't know about the wedding until the moment it was about to happen. There was no real like through line. No. It just felt like a series of random events. Yeah. Which like. That didn't matter. I guess the idea is that we were supposed to be following this family's life over 28 days. And of course a family would be doing random things, but yeah, it's also a movie and I don't know. I feel like they should have had more cohesion. Mm-hmm. Um, And like, the acting wasn't very good. A lot of the supporting actors and actresses sucked. James Brolin was okay. I think uh, Margot Kidder was probably the one carrying the movie. Yeah, she was strong. I did appreciate hers. And I wasn't like, n- James Brolin didn't stand out to me as being off-putting. I think it was, I mean, that like, 
I'm coming apart was so yeah. weird. It was a lot of like um in uh in like acting school when you overact and your teachers like reel it in a little yeah. bit. Too much emotion there. Yeah. Um yeah, I think the two leads did the best job, but every supporting character around them just just slogged so hard that it was just ruining every scene. I feel like the priests could have done more. Oh, yeah. They start off the terror of like the first priest going into the house and like seeing all the flies and actually hearing the demonic voice being like, get out. Yeah. Uh, but he was he was kicked out of the party pretty early. Yeah. And then he just left. <laughs> yeah. I, a lot of the storylines didn't go anywhere. Like he just went blind. And then the investigator who was investigating the family kind of discovered that the guy looked like the killer, the original killer. Yeah. But then sort of tangent off to the priest. And then the last thing we see of him is like talking to the blind priest or looking at the blind priest, I think. <laughs> and then just never being in the scene again. Yeah. It's it I, was odd. So I have a scaredy fact that might explain this. Ooh. But I did not include it in that apparently this movie did not have a script. Apparently it's the the director just told all the actors, read the book and then I'll come up with something. What? Um, I don't know if it was that serious. But, it like, was, but I have a screenplay credit. When all the actors came in, like were cast, there was no script for them to read. Yeah. They were just given the book and they're like, read this book. Because there's a whole thing about like James Brolin being really like worried because there was no script, reading the book and having like a spooky event happen while he was reading it. Oh. And then he was like, all right, there's something here. I'm going to do it. But uh, if whether or not it was like the script was written really late, because the author did write a screenplay to the story while writing the book, but they didn't use it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they just were like, fuck it. We'll do it in posts. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure do it. the whole movie in post. We'll figure it out when we get there. Whatever. <laughs> but um, I think that might lend itself to why it was so buck wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I don't know. The climax was the best part. Just only watch the climax. I have a thought about that, but it goes in with one of mine. All right. Well, we'll, we'll save it for that. My <laughs> just just my first point is this movie's not good. Yep. It's not. Interesting. Not good. <laughs> uh, my second point is about the wood chopping. So you mentioned it in the synopsis, but um, uh, George spends a lot of time chopping wood. A lot. And remember when we watched the Vavitch, mm -hmm. I, had, I had mentioned that it kind of, to me, symbolized William like doing penance for yeah. all of his yeah, yeah, sins yeah, yeah. and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I actually found an article on Horror Homeroom that suggests that the wood chopping scenes in Amityville represent his uh, subliminal hostility towards the family. Uh, it also shows the growing possession of George over the course of the movie. So like he gets more like feral as he's doing it. Yeah. Okay. And it, uh, it represents like, cause obviously he's doing it because he's cold, but the symbolism of him chopping the wood is kind of like the isolation and the hostility towards the family. I'm going like, to chop his family into pieces. Yeah. Um, and apparently the Vavitch, Almost plays uh, homage to Amityville. Yeah, that's I could see that homage for sure. Mm -hmm. So I kind of also see it as like a coping mechanism, like both in both instances, uh, the man of the house who's supposed to be taking care of everything can't yeah. because it's like supernatural things that are out of his control. Yeah. And it's like ruining everything. Everything that he touches turns to shit. And so the one thing that he can focus on and it can actually succeed on is chopping the wood which we see in the Vavitch, like 
he chops way too much wood than they would ever (laughs) need. And then that's what kills him. Yeah, his own hubris. But yeah, I kind of see in like both instances, it's almost like a coping mechanism of like, well, I can't solve anything in the house, but I can chop wood. So at least I'll get that done. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that has any weight to it. I think it's interesting though that you pointed it out. It's such a like big character point for both of those characters that I almost thought there was like a religious element to it because both movies heavily have like religious um, undertones. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say overtones, just like draped in religion. I mean, yeah, it's under, I said undertones, (laughs) but it's heavy themes. So I almost thought there was like a story in the Bible or something about chopping wood or like, again, some sort of like penance you're supposed to do by chopping wood, but I couldn't find anything. I'm not sure. I don't know the Bible very well. I know the big ones. That's it. Yeah. The Jesuses, <laughs> the Noahs, the brothers. One of them killed the other one. The lady fucked everything up and ate that apple. Ugh, fucking ladies. Yeah. Ruining it for everyone. That rib. <laughs> um, yeah. So I couldn't find anything. If anyone knows, let me know. Cause yeah. Email us. We'll feature it in the next whispers from beyond. Yes. I want to know if wood shopping is a thing in the Bible. My last point is that this movie, much like most horror movies that feature a entourage of children, suffered for having those fucking children. (laughs) Much like The Conjuring, where just halfway through the movie, they decide to shove those kids somewhere else. um, Or, But that was at least in the plot. Yeah, yeah. But that's because the Warrens were showing up and because we needed to get rid of the kids so the Warrens could have more screen time. Ooh. Uh, you kind of mm-hmm. just forget about the kids in this movie after a while. There's the one kid that sees Jody and almost kills her babysitter. But that was cool. Yeah, but like I don't fucking care about the kids after a while. And like, yeah. you could make me care about the kids. Like the boogie. <laughs> we didn't really care about the family at all. I feel like there wasn't anything really attached. Like I wasn't like worried for them. Yeah, it was just like I was totally a voyeur watching what happened to them without any empathy which is so weird like i am a very empathetic person but not for this film it also kind of didn't mention the thing that the conjuring says where it's like if you leave they'll still follow you mm-hmm. like you kind of get the impression if they just left the house they'd be chill well they do leave the house and they feel at the end and they seem fine yeah. they live in a different state i think because this is it's not a it is like well, we know that it's based on a burial ground and whatnot. So yeah. I think it is really the location. Yeah. But even like in Conjuring, there was like witchcraft and stuff and like. But the, it was the people that died that yeah, were, were like stuck to that location. But it was more about the people. Yeah. The like portal to hell in Amityville was the thing that was possessing them. So, yeah, yeah that was kind of the thing. It's like the stakes weren't that high a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like, I don't know, I guess with a, a real, a quote unquote real story, you kind of have to have the kids around. But even The Conjuring 2 did a better job of having three kids. And this is also like based on real events doesn't mean that it has to be fucking boring and time wasting. Like yeah. There are tons of horror films that are inspired by or based on true events that are way more exhilarating, yeah. that are way more omniscient and like causing a fear than this was. Maybe the kids just didn't have a bad time. Maybe the, the Lutz is okay. The yeah. Lutz kids were they're like, oh, tell us about your experience in the house. And it's like, I don't know. Mom and dad just well, oh, they went off the rails, I tell ya. 
Okay, one of the kids did have his hand crushed. Yeah, but kids get their body crushed a lot. <laughs> then they bounce back. That kid healed unnaturally fast. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Maybe I just don't like kids. So I don't. If you don't Maybe? make me, if you don't make me care about those kids, I'm not going to. <laughs> Are you ready for chicka 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 chicka? The real deal. Oh, I realize sound so sad. I'm supposed to. That's the bit. <laughs> I also realize we haven't described this segment in quite a while, so new listeners might not know what the fuck this like apathetic section of our podcast is about. This is where Kelly's mom, Colleen, watches shows with us. Whenever she does watch the movie with us, she likes to think, because now that she listens to the show, she thinks that we are big fat liars. Yeah, we don't describe the horror well enough. <laughs> and how terrifying everything is. So the real deal segment is where she gives it to you straight. Yeah. Ah, of course we need her to give it to you straight because we're gay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the straightest segment on the podcast. All right. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Should have called it like the straight take or something. <laughs> Anyways, my mom says the only real see what I did there. No, because it's an audio based podcast, so they can't see how it's, it's spelled. It's a pun. Horror associated with the movie Amityville Horror is the fact that I not only voted for this in the poll, but then I asked to be there when Kelly and Char watched it. Brought this on yourself. <laughs> I won't even use the excuse that it was filmed in 1979, so I should be a little more forgiving that everything about it was bad because it was just bad. Kathy Lutz, played by Margot Kidder, could have come out of this film with a go, women, <laughs> the director, producer, who cares? Uh, either made her look like a small, helpless child or at times a sexy teenager with a ponytail, uh, high socks and short skirt. Everyone is running around the house afraid. But what the hell are they afraid of? Nothing really happened. I'm going to blame uh, Jody, the kid's imaginary friend. She needed to step up her game. The movie sucked. Two thumbs down for me. Yeah, I agree. Now, were we lying there when we when I had my first point? <laughs> I think not. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. Looking to add some spooky fun to your home decor? Then step into our parlor. The Spider and Fly carries everything from classic monster ceramic bathroom sets, Ouija board cutting boards, embroidered horror towels, printed mugs, and our new line of creature candles. Our horror fabric masks will keep you safe and stylish during the pandemic. Available in several horror designs, we also offer custom printing services. Get your favorite spooky design on a wallet, mug, puzzle, or cutting board. The Spider and Fly can be found on Etsy at etsy.com slash store slash the spider and fly. You can use code drinking to save 10% in their store. I actually am getting a purse from them, Ooh. a Ouija board purse, and I'm super excited. I That's can't wait for it to arrive. Awesome. And also, my mom will be terrified. <laughs> Good. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by American Nightmare Candle Company. Discount time. Get 10% off your order on their Etsy page with code DRINKANDSCREAM. Bring the horror into your home with a handmade soy wax candle from American Nightmare Candle Company. The scents are inspired by locations iconic to the horror genre. Places like the Overlook Hotel, Sleepy Hollow, and Elm Street. Each fragrance combination is carefully curated to transport you into the scary story, and the catalog is ever-evolving. You can buy them right now. Yeah! 
right now. Available for purchase at Etsy.com slash Nightmare Candle Co. Evil Amy sent us a very cool Edward Scissorhands themed box where you don't know what figurine is inside of it. So we lucked out opening it up. It is a dinosaur topiary styled by Edward, but they're super cute. They're small, so they're great as a desk toy. I'm a huge fan of having like Funko Pop figures on my <laughs> desk area. So he fits right in there. And I thought that the random surprise aspect does make it extra fun. You can use code EVIL10 for 10% off your purchase at EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com. Then they ship globally, so get yours today. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support from Mad Lab Distillery. This week we used their pre-made cocktail, the Blue Negroni, which was absolutely delicious. I'm and already I will be, done. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink that whole dang thing. Maybe not today. Maybe today. We'll see. <laughs> You can get their awesome stuff at madlabdistilling.com. They ship everywhere. Everywhere. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. We also wanted to let everybody know that currently in the show notes, there is an Indiegogo link. This is for Kelly and I's season two of Tabletop Titties, a queer and feminist uh, tabletop role-playing podcast that we both are on. There is also an expansion of a brand new show on that podcast feed of Titties by Night. We are trying to fund this show if you have any spare change at all any donation helps every dollar counts because we really want to have guests on and we want to pay people for their work and if you have the time if you have the money we would really really appreciate it go to the indiegogo link in the show notes and donate you could be in the show there's also a reward where you could play with the cast you can play with me and kelly and our friends at tabletop titties for a donation Bug your friends, bug your families, send it to celebrities and politicians. Get everybody to donate. Bug your house demons, get your pet. Yeah, exactly. Back to the episode. I'm coming apart. (laughs) Shar, tell me your points. My first point is I'm going to talk about my favorite thing in the film. Well, I have two favorite things. I'm going to bookend my section with my two favorite things. My first is the music, which actually was really amazing. This is an iconic score from uh, Lalo Schifrin, and it was actually nominated for an Oscar, (gasps) this score. And I know that there are scary effects of my own. There's this rumor that he reused some of the music that he was intending to use for The Exorcist in this film, but he does deny it. Um, But the music is great. It's a bit like the melody is really calming yet sinister. They have when they do modifications to the song, it really does have an impact Compared to the fucking plot. Um, (laughs) Well, they never modify the plot. They never modify the plot. So, Mm. yeah. But it just makes me think of when I was young, my dad, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but for Halloween, he has, my dad's like a huge music buff and he has this, a great, Halloween horror list that we play every year whenever there are trick-or-treaters coming. And I'm, sure that this iconic song was in it and it just made me feel nice. 
There you go. Now we don't even need to play a clip of it because that was just note for note. Char and I try to remember the Amityville theme and then immediately try to remember Rosemary's Lady. Rosemary's Lady? <sighs> and then immediately. Our favorite podcast <laughs> duo, Rosemary's Ladies, shout out. <laughs> and then try to remember Rosemary's Baby, <laughs> which I'm trying to do in my head right now and I cannot. I'm just getting the Amityville yeah, one. Because they're very similar. But yeah, I just wanted to shout out the music because that is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this film for a very lackluster story. And I'll going off of your mom already brought this up, which is perfect, because my second point is what the fuck is up with Kathy Lutz in the moving in? It's my scene, favorite uh, Disney Channel original series. <laughs> what the fuck is up with Kathy Lutz? <laughs> but when she's moving in with her family, she has these super weird pigtails. And I'm not sure. Like they were. <gasps> I remember. Sorry. La, 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 la. <laughs> Love, 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 love. Do, 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 seem like she was trying to reclaim her innocence or something or if it was just there to sexualize her and make her seem like the Catholic schoolgirl sinner. Yeah, I wonder if it was like a, because the family was supposed to be like a corruption, like they married out of wedlock, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's uh, not even his kids. She's divorced. Yeah, but they like joked about it. That's true. She's divorced. So it's almost like she's dressed in the uh, Catholic outfit that she grew up with, but it's a little bit sexier and sinful. Ooh. But I just thought that it was weird. And like, we know that the kids are from her previous marriage. So then I was going on like, is this divorce supposed to be seen as the reason why the horrors of the house continue to plague this family? But then it's not because it's just literally the location of the house. I just... The only thing I could say is that it's supposed to be like a representation of like the disintegration of all American family values. Yeah. The trailer kind of gave me vibes of like back in the day was so much better because it said like back in the day when they could have uh, everything was a bit slower and they could do style and, and Which is charisma. so ironic because it's a colonial house. Oh, yeah. Gross. Back when your house represented slavery. But yeah. So it was very odd. The family values were disintegrating, so it's time for them to be punished. I guess. Yeah, it was weird. But she still tried to get her house baptized. Do you baptize a house? Yeah, she was a very strong Catholic Christian. She they, they had made a big deal of putting this like silver cross up. Uh, she's definitely more faithful to her religion than the husband is. It seemed like he was doing it, but still trying, but more for her than for himself. Yeah. His partner said, like, you changed your religion for this girl, man. <laughs> it is also funny. They did the stereotypical thing of flipping the crossover, which we now know there was a saint who was represented by the upside down <laughs> cross. And it is in no way uh, satanic whatsoever. Yeah. But I don't know. I even tried to find like... Nobody is talking about this online, or at least from what I, I tried to research this, the idea of like the sexualization or what was up with her character, Kathy Lutz, in general about in 
the Amityville horror series in this film, and I couldn't find it. Nobody writes about her. It's very weird. It, besides, like the religion aspect. Yeah. But I just thought it was such a striking costume that I'm so flabbergasted that people didn't talk about it. So it's very weird. Mm. And then my last point, just to go cycle back <laughs> to the happy things, is the dog. Yay. Oh my God. The real hero, Harry the Labrador. Um, he fucking saved this family by figuring out where this well to hell was and wouldn't let up like scratching that area. It took forever for the family to even like bother to pay attention to him enough to find it. But I love that dog. He was great. I'm so glad that the dad went back (laughs) to get him at the end. But just to like kind of throw in another mini point of just like, I don't understand the hype for this movie. It's very much like (laughs) what you were saying, Kelly. The pacing was so bad. It was so, it felt so dragged out. It felt so long. Then by the time the climax was actually happening, I had basically zoned out because I (laughs) wanted to end it so bad. I wonder if like, uh, this is going to sound bad. Is like, was there nothing better back then? Was 79 a bad year for horror movies? I don't know. I'm also trying to find if the dog was in IMDb and it was not. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like, I don't even think compared to older movies that we've seen, it's that great. I think it almost has, it probably had like the cult following kind of deal. Yeah. Where it's like, it's based on a true event and then. And it spawned so many sequels. Yeah, exactly. So many spinoffs. And it like uh, inspired so many extra movies. It's just not good. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. That's my point. The end. I like the dog. Not a good movie. You know what is a good movie? This movie. Uh, Love Actually. Oh no, as I slid... Oh, that's not a good movie. This movie, Mad Max. Hey, it's my DVD copy of Mad Max. But what's this behind it? It's a <gasps> giant tome with a human face on the front and it's screaming that it's time to open the Reconomicon! na 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 why I went love actually. I was like, what's a stereotypical movie that people say is good? Uh, my recommendation is Ghostbusters from 1984. All I thought about when I saw Kathy seeing like the glowing eyes in the window was yep. those dog creatures from uh, Ghostbusters. So uh, go watch Ghostbusters. It's got Scorny Weaver in it, but um, a few uh, like problematic sexual scenes. Anyways, that's Ghostbusters from 1984. <laughs> It's been too long. I know I've seen it at least once, but I barely remember anything from that film besides the Sigourney Weaver. There is no Sigourney Weaver. There is only Zool. (laughs) My recommendation is definitely a cop out. It's The Conjuring (laughs) from 2013. It's just a way better haunted house movie, but it does become more about exorcism than like the demonic house itself. Mm -hmm. But the Warrens were also involved with that case. Obviously, The Conjuring. From 2013. I think they also have Amityville in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So go watch that. You see the best parts of Amityville. (laughs) It's time for... Scaredy facts. This is the section where we invite you into our scary house. And we will open up IMDb and we will search some trivia to help us be less afraid of these bad movies that are haunting us everywhere we go. As we snuggle under the blankies. Yes, the haunted blankies that Jody put there. 
Anyways, I did the trivia this week. Whoop, whoop. The budget for this movie was an estimated $4.7 million. Whoa. The opening weekend was $7.8 million. They so already almost doubled it. That it's was, gotta uh, be the hype from the novel. I'm like... I guess? It's a very famous thing that happened. I guess, but like the Kite Runner came out and that was based on a book and no one fucking saw that. <laughs> was there a Kite Runner? Or a Maze Runner, that's what I'm thinking about. Fuck is Kite Runner? That's a movie too. That's Isn't a book it? too. Did anyone watch that? I don't know. This okay. movie is about, this podcast is about horror movies, not random ass movies. Horrible movies. <laughs> Cumulative worldwide gross is $86.4 million. That is a lot. It's gotta be a cult movie. That's it. It's not good. People just watch it because they gotta. <laughs> I mean, we wa- we literally watched it because we gotta. Anyways, my first. I was begging for Freaky to win the poll, but no. I forgot to vote. Everybody <laughs> voted for Amityville. This is on you. Due to all the unwanted fame the book and film had brought upon the real home in Amityville, the current owners have replaced the evil eyes window with normal rectangle shaped windows. Boo. Back in, back in the day when your house could have panache and charisma. <laughs> Little quaint house with sinister eyes. I do think they're very cool, actually. Neither James Brolin nor Margot Kidder actually believed the Lutz's story. They became close with them for, like, you know, inspiration and and research and stuff like that. But neither of them believed it. I'm a skeptic myself, so I feel that. James Brolin's brother was actually used for the image of the bearded man seen appearing from the red room in the cellar. Oh. The studio wanted someone who bore a close resemblance to Brolin and discovered he had a brother who shared a strong resemblance to the star. Brolin's brother was fitted for a fake beard for the part. (laughs) So when they say that you really look like the murderer, it's because it was his brother. Brother. Margot Kidder went on record with her friends that she hated this movie. Maybe it's because they fucking sexualized her so much. I don't know. Misogyny! Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. So you know how sometimes I mention how a movie basically like every star in Hollywood was... Ever was considered? Yeah. Is this one of those? Yeah. So Harrison Ford was in consideration for the role of George Lutz after the unexpected success of Star Wars episode Ivy. Four. Four. A New Hope. (laughs) Roman numerals are weird. It's fine. Uh, Burt Reynolds, James Caan, and Christopher Reeve were also considered for the role. Burt Reynolds, I could definitely see. Yeah, Burt Reynolds. I could also see Christopher Reeve or Jer- or Harrison Ford. James Caan is maybe. Um, What's James Caan in again? The main guy in Misery. I knew I recognized the name. And Elf. Now I feel dumb. The dad and Elf. Silly me. Um, I brought this up because it's actually funny because um, James Brolin tried to audition for the role of Superman and then they Christopher Reeve got it. <laughs> so it's just funny. Yep. But uh, yeah, I could see m- most of those guys actually playing this role pretty well. Usually I'm like, they're just trying to throw star power. Yeah. But I think James Brolin, I don't know if he was like a big name back then. So maybe they were kind of going for like the, no, Margot Kidder was in Superman. What am I saying? These were star studded cast. <laughs> While the DeFeo family murders were obviously a major plot point for the film, for whatever reason, they were never actually mentioned by name. And to protect the identities of the real-life Lutz children, their names were changed for the film. That's cool. Hmm. I don't don't know why they didn't mention the DeFeo family. Yeah. I wonder if they mentioned them in The Conjuring, now that I think about it. I'm not sure if the name comes up. I mean, yeah, it's got to. Yeah. 
Margot Kidder was cast on the strength of her performance in Superman from 1978. The year before. My mom was like shouting at the screen whenever she showed up that it was uh, Lois Lane. (laughs) The true story behind the movie has a special relationship with two modern horror films. Whoa, tell me more. First is The Conjuring from 2013 and Annabelle from 2014. The Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, were also involved with the investigation of The Real House and served as demonology advisors for Amityville 2, The Possession from 1982. Which that one is supposed to be the best one of the three. (laughs) Oddly enough, Amy's doll, you pointed this out, is Raggedy Ann, which is the real Annabelle. Dun, dun, dun! Not literally the real Annabelle was in this film, but the the make of the Raggedy Ann. Raggedy Ann is what Annabelle was. Yeah, that's cool. I was like, did they do that on purpose? They had to. All right, well... Carfax. Yeah. I got a lot of them. Cool. George's motorcycle is a Yamaha XS750 Special. Ooh. Their van is a 1978 Chevy van. You didn't say Chevrolet. We learned. Chevrolet. We got made fun of. Van. (laughs) The priest's car is a 1976 Chevy Nova, which I think my mom owned a Chevy Nova. Oh. Oh. Sounds familiar. Uh, Jimmy's truck, who is uh, George's partner, the partner, yeah, uh, is a 1979 Jeep Cherokee, which I found odd because 79 is the, it came out, yeah, and his truck looked like crap. <laughs> so I wonder if they made it look older, but it was a modern truck at the time. And finally, the investigator slash sergeant, whatever the fuck he was, uh, his car was a 1975 AMC Matador. <laughs> There's a lot of other cars, but these were the most important ones. Thank you. I feel very well informed and I know much about automobiles. Yay. A lot of modern (laughs) cars in this movie um, in relation to what year it was. Yeah. Are you ready for final thoughts? I was going to say that means it is final thoughts. Can I go or do you want to go? You can go. I just, this was so bad. (laughs) Not to end on a downer, but this was a long film. It just dragged on and on. But I'm curious because I know that there's a remake with Ryan Reynolds and I love Ryan Reynolds. He's a Canadian actor. He's usually in a lot of comedy films, but he actually is very good in dramatic films. I've seen a few recently that I liked. So I'm wondering if maybe the remake with Ryan Reynolds is better. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that James Brolin ruined it, though. I'm just will a modern take on this story make me interested? I don't know. There's actually one of those like several degrees of bacon or whatever with this, where it's um, James Brolin was in the first movie. Ryan Reynolds is in the remake. Josh Brolin is in Deadpool two with Ryan Reynolds. And then Josh Brolin is uh, the son of James Brolin. It's, Whoa. it's funny because while we were watching this, my mom was like, Oh yeah, that's James Brolin. He's from Deadpool and stuff. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Josh. Yeah. Brolin. <laughs> I think he's a bit too old in this. <laughs> I don't, my final thought is this movie's bad. Don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> why watch. did you guys make us watch it? Why didn't, why couldn't you let us watch Freaky or literally any of the other ones on that list? Why did you have to do this to me? Well, that's been the Amityville Horror, a movie about a dog's bad month. Next week, we'll be watching the Amityville Horror from 2005. Whoa. <laughs> mixed, yeah. Mixed them up. You goofed Hopefully them. good. <laughs> and remember, always scream responsibly. Uh, Bye! Uh, 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 u
listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com.